At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob Snow White, and this is episode number 277. We're going to interview Art Noglack. You can find him at the Orb Store in Arlington, Virginia. In this episode, we're going to discuss bass flies. You've heard my theories and thoughts on bass flies for over a decade now. Now we're going to hear another perspective. We're going to start off with, in general, what's a bass fly? We're going to talk about tying bass flies, the gear needed to fish them, how to fish them. Then we're going to end off with some random questions. So I hope you enjoy this episode. For more information about what Art does, you can visit Orvis.com or TPFR.org. For more information about who I am and what I do, visit RobSnowWhite.com. And check out some of my flies and fly selections for sale on Etsy. And don't forget to pick up your beer can lanyard, also known as a canyard. All right, so we want to talk about bass flies today, right? Sure. Yeah, that sounds like fun. All right, so this is uh, this is art again. We're going to talk about bass flies. We've done trout dries. We have done streamers. We'll do bass flies and then maybe terrestrials and maybe nymphs. Because what else are we going to do right now, right? Yeah, I'll always love to talk some flies. Yeah, so let me fill you in on my day. I saw a snakehead on the dam at Burke Lake. So we got to yep. get out there on the boat again. We'll take two yeah. trolling motors this time. <laughs> and then I came home and shaved my head. No, get out of here. It's like a number two. My sideburns are longer than my hair. And then one of my clients called from down the street and he gave me a, a free Watermaster pontoon boat. So now this year I've received two free Watermasters and one free Dave Scadden uh, pontoon boat. Wow. It's kind of crazy. Amazing. And so the those inflatable... So they're inflatables, right? They're inflatable and they fit in a backpack. 
That's awesome. And is it the kind that you need to use the flippers to kick around or? You can. I've only taken mine down the Rappahannock and there was current. But okay. We'll have to take them out sometime. So I think Jason, producer Jason, is going to get the one from today. Oh, nice. So we can go do some maybe smallmouth fishing on the Susquehanna this summer or something. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So let's let's talk bass flies. So when did Orvis reopen for public cons- public consumption to come in? <laughs> public consumption. I don't, know what the word is. I don't know what the word is either. But but I think we opened. It's been been about a month now since we've opened. Okay. You know, maybe a little longer. How have things changed since then? Things have changed. The, the traffic is down definitely a little bit. There's not as much uh, sort of window shopping going on, right? People that are coming in are, are def- purpose-driven, if you will. Um, but I will say what's amazing is that the interest in in all things fly fishing has just grown through this exponentially. Yes. So um, my next podcast is going to be what – a first-time angler should expect the first time someone puts a rod in their hand. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Because you've got the New York Times writing about it, the Washington Post, Forbes has had an article. Yeah, it's crazy that our little world is now becoming, you know, not since maybe a river runs through it have people been going to fly shops to buy a rod for the first time. Yeah, we're also getting a lot of just conventional anglers that are coming in everything is sold out everywhere so you know a few times a day i'll get someone who who will call and ask for you know bait and sinkers and swivels and then also we'll get people that'll actually come into the store looking to re-spool bait casters and spin fishing equipment and unfortunately we just don't have that we don't have to have those products available uh so i kind of feel really bad (laughs) that uh we can't we can't service them but I, i almost wish we were in the worm business right now you could. <laughs> Dude, I should start digging some up from my garden. Bring them in. Sure. What would the skew be on a worm? I don't Unless know. A night crawler would be a fifty-three or fifty-four. I I think it would be. I think it would definitely be six one XR zero zero seven two. That would be the skew. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> all right. That's it. Uh, all right. So let's let's get into the bass flies then. Uh, what makes a good bass fly? Um, or, you let, know, let me restart. So I'm going to do bass flies, fly tying, the gear you need to throw bass flies, fishing for bass, and then random questions. What makes a good bass fly? I think that a good bass fly, you know, it's the same thing that makes a good anything. Um, it's just something that's going to, you know, you're going to be able to fish in a myriad of various conditions something that is going to you know that most importantly the fish will be able to see and then also importantly something that you'll be able to see and yeah and i've got a i've got a list of of favorites we'll get to that at some point yeah as you as you know i'm not a i'm not a huge believer that that you know very very specific flies matter much i think that there's probably you know, five or 10 flies out there that you could fish, you know, just about any species in the world with and expect to be uh, successful, whether it's freshwater or saltwater. But sometimes the slight variations in those patterns uh, can, can make a big difference day to day. Are you trying to match the hatch to represent something a fish or a bass is going to eat? And, and my Listeners have been listening to my thoughts and theories on bass flies for 11 years now. So it's good to have another perspective. What are you trying to have these flies 
represent, mimic, imitate? So I think so. You know, I, I think especially if you're in very pressured water. Look, I, I think that I think that first of all, bass, especially largemouth bass, get an extremely bad rap uh, at how difficult it is to, in fact, you know, uh, be successful when going out and fishing for them. Probably like the average, in my in in my opinion, and I know some people will scoff at this. You know, the average kind of bass angler who who owns a boat and and we're talking conventional glitter boats right i i think that those people are you know far and away more knowledgeable at what it is they do than than you know fly fishermen especially in the in the bass world and you know those are the one the ones that i've talked to um and have known over the years are extremely knowledgeable and well educated about these species uh, or this species i think that you know and i think that we kind of have it in our heads and maybe i'm just you know speaking for myself and in, in generalities here but that it's almost like this very easy kind of pan fish you know type of 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 fish that you can go out and readily be successful regardless of you know, the conditions. And I think that, I think myself included, on the fly, we just sort of skip over a lot of the nuances and and, and we don't take the time to educate ourselves about largemouth bass and where, they're, where they are and what they're supposed to do and what we should be throwing the way that the conventional tackle world does. And I think we could learn, we could learn a lot from them. What should a bass fly do in the water if you're learning and watching from those people? And believe me, I look at lures in catalogs online. And when I go to Bass Pro Shops or any other big box store, I'm looking at their stuff for inspiration. What should a good yeah. bass fly do in the water? I, I think undulate and pulsate are my two favorite you know, uh, uh, adjectives to describe what I want a bass fly to do. Right. You know, because they're, you know, they are definitely, you know, ambush, ambush predators, but I feel like with bass specifically, the longer the fly is in the strike zone, the better a chance you have to get a need. So like an example, like unlike strip streamer for a trout where, you know, you throw it up on the bank and, and, you know, you often strip it back as fast as you can or, or strip it and twitch it and move it, you know, and, and you have current involved and, and the expectation that a fish might chase this fly down. I think with bass, they're often, um, they're often unwilling to move very far to eat that fly. I think that there's a, a very short window that if, if, uh, if a bait or a fly were to, you know, enter that window, your, your, you know, odds of getting a strike are extremely high. But if it's not in that window, especially um, in some of the hotter months and some of the colder months, some of the extremes, I think you're, I think you're dead in the water, if you will. So I want as much movement naturally from that fly, i.e., you know, articulation points or, or rubber, rubber legs and skirts or, or marabou and, or marabou or rabbit, you know, things that just kind of naturally move on their own when the fly stops and then things that, you know, undulate when, when the fly moves and strips. So th those are my two things that I, I want the, I want the fly to have. How do you want that presentation that first time that fly hits the water, what do you want that fly to do and how do you want it to hit at the water depending on what fly? So normally I want it to sink. I think that 
you know, and I don't consider myself to be as knowledgeable about bass fishing as I do other species, but I will say this, I want the fly to get down. I think I think often we have it wrong. I think often we consider bass fishing to be a summer sport. I think that, you know, that is one of the worst times <laughs> to go and, and catch numbers, especially if we're fishing lakes. I know you and I have discussed before, I, I think that especially in the heat in the south, that those fish do find thermoclines. I think they do move deeper in the water as the temperatures warm up and and they instead of being in shoreline structure and 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 flats and grass beds like they are in the in the early spring i think they move down and into drop-offs off of structure and, and 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 things like that so right now as it is summer i'm looking to get that fly down and i i want it to you know i want it to rocket to the bottom pretty pretty quick depending on the depth, obviously. And we'll get into more of the mechanics of that in a bit. And what about taboos? The, you, you got trout fishermen, they think junk flies are awful, eggs, worms, etc. Are there taboos when fly fishing, things that that you might have a customer come into the store and be like, well, I'm fishing for largemouth. I will not throw that at them. It's a good question. There's a lot of taboos with trout and trout anglers. Let me think here. Are there any taboos with large people not no you know i i can't think of any i i think I, I think it's the opposite i think people you know expect junk flies to be to be thrown at uh at at largemouth i think that's the angler attitude is that they're in the fly fishing world that there's somehow some almost a lesser a lesser fish if you will and so the expectation is that you're you're throwing junk flies it is not as bad as carp, right, or or catfish or or snakehead, but they definitely fall into this sort of into that kind of you know, and it, it's gotten better over the years. You know, I, I think when people think largemouth bass, they think on the fly fishing side, they think either you know, big popper, deer hair popper. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know what they think. People are clueless about what flies when they when they come. They're they're so much more knowledgeable about trout and salmon and steelhead and even smallmouth. Carp has has picked up in popularity. People have no idea what to what to buy for for largemouth bass flies because it's typically trout anglers, right? Typically trout anglers. Are there any non-bass flies you throw and or sell for people to fish for bass? Oh, tons. Yeah, lots. That's a lots good of- example. I would say, all right, my, you know, my favorite example is probably. A clouser, and I don't know if that's a bass fly or not. I've always considered it to be a, a saltwater fly, but you know that's amongst developed on the Susquehanna in the eighties. Is that is that right as a yeah. as a striper fly or as a as a large mouth fly? Originally minnow and then more crayfish colors. Okay, is that the that the, the clouser deep no. minnow named by Lefty? Yeah, that would well that would explain it because it's a it's a great uh, it's a great bug. Well, I guess the the damsel would be nymph would be a perfect example whether you know it's it's the one that you tie which is you know more of an all sorts and uh, you know i don't know what you designed it for to begin with but stripers actually okay yeah that's that's an excellent uh those damselfly nymphs off of a off of a a popper can be an excellent way to to target bass especially in spooky waters and 
you know, up, up in shallows and in, and in grass beds and things. I think that they do, they do hone in on those kinds of things. What's a, what's another one that double gonga. I catch a lot of large mouth on the double gonga. Charlie Craven. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just love that streamer. Another solid fly that, that, uh, is a, is a tarpon toad back in, um, Back in Ohio, I used to fish a lot of those on on uh, various various lakes. I like those slimmer profile kind of sliders as well, like um, crease flies. If you ever use those, it's another saltwater fly that Carl that works Siegel. really really well for bass. Caught a seagull once, man. I think ate my crease fly and got hooked through the beak. Oh We're no! We're not talking like a cute little like seagull or tern. This was a nasty brown seagull at Ocean City, Maryland, that lives off of thrashers fries and cigarette butts and it just followed it in and i had to get that thing up on the beach oh my goodness oh man it's time for some peanuts i got some what honey peanuts you got you got orvis peanuts no no i like a wasabi peanut i can't find them anymore wasabi peanuts oh, you got a cold know. beverage to wash those peanuts down right h mart no just doing some uh oh, just doing garlic some peanuts no these are honey roasted planters you want to tell Old people about them right. garlic peanuts you brought on the boat? Mm. Yeah, what? No, which ones were those? Were those the Filipino roasted garlic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Those weren't peanuts, though. Those were like, um, what are those called? I can't remember. They're, they're almost like uh, exploded. Nuts, maybe. Yeah, cause they're like corn nuts. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, those are delicious. Right. Hot garlic. H Mart. I have nothing. I drove past it today. My girl was in trouble, so I got a Slurpee over there at Burke, and I wouldn't let her get anything. I got her a cup of ice when we were in 7-Eleven. <laughs> I said, here, you get that. Wow. Yep. I did you, go, Slurpee did you drive by the, uh, the KFC Taco Bell combo yeah, there? Yeah, past that. We have, we have a bunch of food. I made chicken stock last night, so we got a whole bunch of pulled chicken. Oh, nice. Work on that. My wife's about to put the pork belly on the broiler here. Oh, boy. <laughs> And we have been making some BLTs now that the tomatoes are coming in with that bacon from North Carolina. I was going to have one tonight, and my wife ate my, my one ripe tomato I had for tonight. Oh. How dare you, lady? <laughs> You've talked about breathability and movement. Anything before we get into some of the, the intricacies of fishing and tying for bass between smallmouth and largemouth? Anything that you do different between them, or do we just want to get into that as we go? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I, you know, I I have zero experience still water fishing for um, for largemouth or smallmouth. Me too. I would love um, to have smallmouth down here in a lake. Yeah, and then you know, my experience targeting largemouth in moving water is, you know, I have some, but it's but it's limited. So you know, for me. It's apples and oranges because most of the the fishing I've done for largemouth has been on still water, with with obviously a few exceptions, the Potomac being one of them, and then the opposite for for smallmouth. So for me, the techniques you know and the flies um, a lot of times have been very different. What about the lake run smallies? Do you also get lake run largies up in Cleveland? You know, it's a really good question. They do happen more so. The the largemouth that that I know of typically spawn in the bay systems more often. You're gonna ruin um, your appetite, by the way, for that pork belly. 
Yeah, you're, that's true. You get a lot of salt in you tonight. You're even thirsty. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I could probably cut it down. I get in trouble too. If I don't eat a lot. It's like when I was a kid. No, not Lake Run. Uh, nothing, nothing substantial. Um, nothing targetable, if you will. Um, I'm sure, however, I'm sure it happens. I'm sure that some largemouth do at times use river mouths and things for for spawning habitat, but they typically spawn in the bays up there. And you can see them when they do. It's it's actually really impressive. Oh, and the bluegill are doing a second spawn right now. Really? Yep, we saw some today, and there were some on Sunday at another spot. So just a heads up around here, there's another spawn going on. We're getting ready to launch the bluegill tournament. Nice. We just talked lab on Sunday. Yeah, I was talking with um, some of the guys today and putting order in for the for the trophies this afternoon. So um, we're thinking about extending it out a little bit instead of it like just doing a weekend or whatever. Okay. I'm thinking about maybe like doing it for, I don't know, a couple weeks or maybe even more. What do you think? I dig it, man. We got time. Yeah. People have like not, not much to do right now with the whole COVID situation. So it might be a little, a little bit more fun, a little more interesting if we, we extend it out. I can dig it. Uh, let's talk about fly time. How does sure. one choose a good deer hair for tying a deer hair bug. And why would one choose a deer hair bug over another type of cork or balsa or foam or another buoyant yeah. material? Sure. Um, so for deer hair flies, there's there's lots of great, you know, there's lots of different different things. There's, there is spinning hair. There assume is, that someone doesn't know what spinning hair is or like we said, there might be a, a novice angler who just tuned in today. Oh, great. So uh, it's elk hair, which is a very hollow fiber that floats really well and is, is fairly easy to work with. And those fibers, uh, elk and deer, are used in flies that uh, uh, float. The body hair is used in flies that float, where... Other parts of the deers, like the tails, for instance, are used in flies that sink, like clouds or minnows. However, there's different grades of the fur, or and of the hair, rather, that do different things, and some are more buoyant than others. So on like kind of like the least buoyant side, you've got things like the bucktail, and then what's called just your standard elk hair, and that's kind of good for making you know, deer hair bugs or deer hair uh, streamers, right? Or like little tails off of Mickey fins and things of that sort. And then you have some that are, you know, good for wings on dry flies, uh, uh, like an elk hair caddis, for example. And then you have some that's like extremely fine that are better for uh, like comparadon style flies. And those are called, that's like called comparadon hair. And then you have some that's good for uh, the collars and heads of streamers, but not necessarily for a very buoyant fly, right? You're just kind of using it for bulk, and that's called spinning hair. And then you have bass bug hair, which is like body hair, and that's like the, the thickest, most buoyant, most hollow. And that's what you use in your deer hair poppers and popping bugs, right? Is there a different time of year to harvest that? There may be. I would have no idea what it what it is. However, I typically use the Orvis, or I'm also coming to really appreciate Nature Spirit. Nature Spirit. 
Nature Spirit, I think they have amazing hair. Really big fan of nice. uh, of those those two. Yeah. Are there any specialized tools you use or others might need or that you sell that may benefit someone tying a deer hair popper or other bass flies? Because these tend to be a little bit larger than normal flies. Yes. Specialized uh, that you carry in your kit. Yes. Let me grab uh, and let me grab a hook real quick. Okay. So there's a couple things. One is you got to have the Wilkinson Gillette Wilkinson Sword razor blades. Double sided. They are paper thin. Sounds dangerous. And you can bend them extremely easily between your fingers so that they're rounded so that you can have a, a convex or concave side of the razor blade for doing the tops and the bottoms. This makes bass bug trimming a breeze. Very simple. So it's really good if you, you know, you're using it for, um, you know, dull bird diving heads or, or um, you know, or just trimming, trimming big bodies. I think that those are critical, critical pieces to fast bugs, uh, the, those razors. Now, they also have a tool that we sell in the shop. I have no clue what, what the name of it is, but it's a handy little gadget. Uh, it kind of looks like uh, ladies may know what an eyebrow... Crimper. Crimper looks like. Yeah, our Romani gypsy neighbor teenage boys used to use those before they'd go out. We'd walk Dr. Jones on the golf course, and you'd look over, and you'd see them in the bathroom crimping their eyelashes. <laughs> so it looks kind of like that, right? It's something similar, except the blade goes in, and you you pull it, and it can contor- contorts the blade of the razor blade for you, and it's fixed into one one place, and so you could use that to to shave the deer hair. So that's, uh, that's definitely something that, that, um, I use often. No, no, I, I've never cut myself with them. The sides. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it, it, if you didn't know what you're doing, I'm sure it could be dangerous. Knock on wood. I've never, I've never cut myself. I pretty much exclusively use the Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. TMC 8089 special use hook by TMCO for my bass hair bugs. I also use that for some other things that it's not supposed to be used for, but I really like that hook for, for bass bugs. It's got a very wide gap and a long enough body. I have one big gripe with that hook. It does not come in a four, um, which I think four is just... Hot? No, no, it doesn't come in a four. 
which is just blasphemous in my in my opinion. You said um, F O U R. Correct. Four. Yep. F O U R. What do you mean by it does not come in a four? Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think I've ever seen it in a size four. Oh, size four. Right. 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 I'm gonna Google that I right just now. I want longer. I want four X long bass bug hooks. That's what my scorpion bug would be tied on. It just doesn't look right when it's on a bass bug hook. I just picked this Orvis bass bug hook size one odd off my carpet. I don't know why it's down there, but yeah, it's just short, man. Do you, uh, uh, what, put it on a saltwater hook. Okay. Right? So, well, yeah, I've got these big old mustads here, but I don't like, when it gets super big like that, then you got this giant gauge hook that's just putting a huge hole in their mouth like when you catch a large mouth and you can see through its mouth from all the holes from lures you just know yeah. they're using too big like i can catch the same size fish on a snow white damsel that somebody can catch on like an dot rubber lure with i don't know what's on it rattles lights and garlic smell no i couldn't i couldn't agree more and and in fact you're right. And, and trout streamers are becoming very uh, intrusive in that, in that way. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I'm starting to see much heavier gauge hooks on, on, on trout streamers as well. If People the tippet have, can get thinner and stronger, I think hooks should be able to get thinner and stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, man. That sounds, that sounds very reasonable to me. Uh, yeah. It doesn't come in a four. Like I just don't understand two six and ten on that on that hook. Any so other those specialized things in your kit? Mm. Bobbins, a vice choice. Do you need special scissors to cut any of your materials? Hair packers. Yes, I definitely use. So you're you're a fan of the hair stacker. I do. I use I use various hair stackers. Does your wife get mad when you're sitting there smacking yes. it on the table? Yes, yes, Dr. she does. Dr. Jones used to get very confused. When he Especially was. the Dr. Slick one, because I have like this big, heavy Dr. Slick one that I use when I'm um, tying big flies. And it, I mean, it weighs like, I mean, it's got to weigh like a couple of pounds. <laughs> and it uh, it slams and on the table even when you're trying. And then I have some like various other smaller ones that I use for, you know, more like dry flies and things like that. I use that leg pulling tool a lot. Zuddy's leg puller, big fan. Yeah, Zuddy's leg puller. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. What else? I'm looking up there right now to see. What about your thread? You're not using ADOT for this, I'm assuming. No. Yes, uh, I I use uh, either Orvis Saltwater uh, G thread or two ten denier uh, Danville are the two I do. And I use that for my mice and my deer hair. I gave you some mice and some yes. deer hair poppers we recently. Not them yet. Um, clients not capable of throwing such a beefy fly. Yeah, like those are sticking some... to popper droppers. Right, right, right. Um, and, yeah, and you so... saw that broken rod tip from the Helgramite. Oh, right. Yeah. No, no. no fault of the client. Never thrown a big <laughs> fly like that on an eight weight. So it happens. It happens. Yeah. Yeah, so 210 denier or Orvis G. That's my that's my thread. I got to pull down hard the Orvis Master Series bobbin or the standard 
Umpqua, what is it, a TM, or is it a TMCO? What's the one? It's got a white, um, white shaft on it. It's got a, like a white ceramic shaft, but the uh, the gripper always comes off on those. They're kind of expensive. They're like thirty five bucks. Right, bobbins too are nice. And you just got to make sure that you're not putting your pressure on the hinge on the bobbin. For those listening, where's one of mine? Okay, so yeah, when you're cranking down, you don't want it to be. You want to put you, if you put the pressure in the middle of the bobbin, it'll come off. There's actually a specific way to use a right bobbin. I use those on all my big stuff. So I can get good tension on that. So stacking versus spinning, I have recently come to, uh, I'm a huge fan of the Loon flashlight, UV flashlight, and the whatever flow and thick and thin resins they have. Mm-hmm. that has really uh, sped up and cleaned up my hair stacking where I'm constantly putting dabs of glue each on each stack of hair, um, especially like if I'm making like a mouse pattern or something like that. Uh, and that UV flashlight, that whole system is, is just amazing. And it's cleaner and it dries clear and it, it just dries immediately which when you hit it with that light. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. I use the Solares. My daughter is not allowed to use my Solares, so she uses some old loons that I have. Okay. And we had a four-leaf clover finding contest in the neighbor's yard during a social distant happy hour. And trying nice. to keep the kids away from us, we said, go find a four-leaf clover. So my kid grabs two three-leaf clovers, comes down to my office, rips off one clover leaf and sticks it on another one to make it look like a four-leaf clover and uses UV loon. She Smart. didn't hit it with the lamp. So she's like, I've got a four-leaf clover, and it's all just gooey and sticky. <laughs> and one of the moms is like, what the heck is this? And I smelled it, and I was like, you used UV epoxy on that. That's hilarious. I'm like, wow, um, for a nine-year-old, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little upset how deceive, deception deceiving just, she was. Just, she was deceiving us. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm very proud of the ingenuity of doing that. Sure. Yeah. I think you have more deception and ingenuity uh, to experience as she gets as she gets older. I'm sure. <laughs> she likes to be called Little Gia. That's her. She likes to wear a baseball hat now and run around the house. <laughs> Don't tell her. Uh, yeah. No. No. Of course not. I tie primarily on a Renzetti Traveler uh, 2000 whatever vice. There's other great vices out there. When when this one breaks, I might consider trying something else. But <laughs> Regal. Yeah, I, I, I love the Regals. I tie on the Regals at work. When I teach classes, I've got Regals in the shop. Um, we, sell, we sell the Renzettis too, but I typically uh, I typically use the Regal when I'm teaching I'm teaching a class because I can get the hook in and out of it very very quickly, and I don't have that bothersome. Uh, uh, swing arm thing, you know, uh, for the, um, rotary tying the bobbin holder and anyone who's ever accidentally rotated the, the vice jaws the wrong way on a Renzetti traveler knows that it's going to take you about 10 minutes to get that thing like 
get the tension right again. So it'll, it'll actually work without falling apart. But they're great vices. I love them. This current one that I've had, I've had it for probably 10, 12 years. And I've never had an issue with it. So I'm real comfortable with it. I tie it. I'm, I was tying some Guide's Choice hair's ears on it a couple hours ago. Those are nice flies. Yeah. What about special materials? Do you have any besides hair, flash, dumbbell eyes, body materials, tinsel, chenille, etc., that you rely on to tie your bass flies? Largemouth flies, I, uh, I'm nuts for uh, Arctic goat for largemouth flies. Also marabou, but I'm crazy about marabou for everything. So I really like the I really like gurgler style flies with uh, for largemouth, especially springtime, especially when they're crushing bait fish, right? Chasing bait fish. Arctic goat in the tails of the flies. I love it. I think it moves um, and kind of undulates really well, especially in a top water bug type of situation. Rubber legs, <laughs> you know, uh, got to have rubber legs and got to have more rubber legs than most flies have. Are you thinking, what are we talking, specific brand, specific? Or just think of different patterns you like to tie or yeah, uh, flies at the shop and, and specific materials that might go into them. Anything rare, obscure, or are these pretty easy to find materials? I think they're pretty easy to find materials. I don't no think looking for South Indian blue jay feathers to tie. No, rubber legs, marabou, <laughs> you know, hair, dumbbell eyes, you know, chenilles, estas, right? Normal, normal stuff. Normal stuff. I tie a fly for, you know, originally it started as a carp fly. Then it became a trout fly. Then it became a smallmouth and largemouth fly. The uh, it's called the gum gouger, and it's a it's a little crayfish pattern with, um, you know, it's got squirrel dubbing and senyo's ice dubbing and marabou tail and rubber legs and multiple sets of bead chain eyes to flatten the head and lead free wire. It's a great crayfish pattern that I'll often uh, deploy for for largemouth bass. Now, if you ever want to fish bait, George over here in the aquarium, he, he'll volunteer. And if you want to take him and kill him, I'd be happy. <laughs> I've, I've ripped off one of his claws, yeah. his main, main pincers, so he can't really attack the goldfish. Eat that crayfish. There's some, there's some materials I want to try, however, that I haven't. And that Pat Cohen, creature whatever dubbing he's got some kind of really fuzzy funky dubbing that i want to try that i haven't tried yet he's got that new ultra suede tail too that looks like the paddle on a lure on a rubber worm I oh don't know what it's called that stuff works i'm becoming a believer that one fish that i caught recently on your fly on yeah. that early tail snaggle tooth what do you call it that was the bass siren Oh yeah, yeah, right, right. And it's got what's that little tail on there? That is an Eastern Trophies Ultra Suede Curly Tail. Yes, I have some white. of those. Yeah, and they're indestructible. 
I started off getting the rubber umqua, <laughs> rubber tails for them, and yeah. fish did get destroyed. Sure. And at some point, I came across ultra suede and was like, hmm, this stuff's kind of indestructible. Yeah, it's definitely. It's durable. If you put Zappa Gap on it, however, it burns. It smokes. And if you'll burn your finger with it, there's something about. So thermic reaction? Yeah, there's something about the combination of Ultra Suede and Wopsy's, uh, whatever that Zappa Gap stuff is. Maybe we could start a, you know, campfire with that. Z-Mint. Yeah, if you, if you touch the Z-Mint to the Ultra Suede, it smokes. It's weird. Oh, yeah, I've got it right here, the Wopsy Fly Tire Z-Mint. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good stuff. And it gets hot. It gets white hot. Like, if you touch the Ultra Suede after applying it, you're like, oh, my God, what is happening? Do you remember Zip Kicker? No. So when I worked at Orvis many moons ago, you would always they insisted you had to do all the knots on uh, backing to your the fly line at the spooling table. You had to put Zappagap on it, and this stuff was called Zip Kicker, and it instantly solidified Zappagap. And somehow we found out it was extremely flammable. Hmm. That would go on camping trips. Huh. For fun. The Zip Kicker. It, I mean, you'd spray that on Zappagap and instantly it was hardened no waiting at all wow yeah that stuff yeah you can spray that on a fire conflagration i'm surprised i have any eyebrows left after those days <laughs> what about color preferences do you have you know the bass guys like a good fire tiger or a june bug or a pumpkin seed you always hear about the pumpkin seed or pumpkin colored tube jigs Cool. I never catch anything on anything Fire Tiger, by the way. Although I love, I tie all kinds of stuff in Fire Tiger. I just never catch any fish on them. Um, But the pumpkin seed stuff, I swear by. Like, I love anything with kind of a brown or red, brown and red fleck, flecks in it, uh, uh, speckles in it. yeah, I, there's something about it. Largemouth and smallmouth both hone in on that. I, I don't know if it's crayfishy. I don't know what it is, but kind of a, you know, brown with a little bit of gold and a little bit of red shimmery, you know, a little bit of copper shimmering in it. Amazing. Those jigs are phenomenal. And, and I try to make my flies look like those jigs. <laughs> Other motifs? Do you swear like by a purple or I don't pumpkiny orangey red? Yeah, I love that. That is by far my favorite bass, both largemouth and smallmouth. You know, also uh, white. All white is deadly at times, especially in the spring. I, I find you know. So when we were fishing, the first time we fished together, we bumped into that guy named Jamal, the Olympic athlete dude, tidal basin. And he That's right. by white spinner baits in the tidal basin in spring because they look like the white perch all the largemouth are eating. Yeah, I, I, I could totally see that. Yeah. Now in the tidal basin, however, the best I, I typically on clousers are half and halves. So my best... 2020 largemouth was um, uh, taken on a size one knot chartreuse and white half and half. Say, does that 
Does that have dairy in it? What do you mean by a half and half? <laughs> so half and half is like, what is it? Half clouser, half deceiver? Yeah, it's a love child yeah. too. If you put that right. in a clouser and a deceiver in a room together with low light and put on some berry white, <laughs> you would have half and half pretty soon. Yes, I, I love uh, I love half and halves for, for largemouth, half and halves and deceivers um, and clousers for, for bass. Those are kind of my go-to bait fish patterns. However, back to the ultra suede tail, I will say since moving to Virginia and, you know, kind of discovering some of the local flies that are used for things around here, I have uh, actually come to appreciate the CK bait fish as a, as a very worthy largemouth fly as well. And I have caught some very nice largemouth uh, on that fly. Very nice. All right, next up in time, what should bass flies have? And then second question follow up is what should they not have? So topwater flies, do they need ears, whiskers, noses, things on top of them, even though the fish below might not see? No, I mean, of course they don't. I don't think that's going to help you. Well, I take that back. It's more fun there, to catch a fish yeah, I, on something I, like that. There's something about the realism aspect of a fly that I do believe increases your confidence in it. Right. And I don't, you know, I don't think this is, this has anything to do with what the fish is doing. I think it has to do with what you are doing. So, so that being said, uh, you know, especially in the beginner stages of, of fly fishing, I think it's important to have a lot of confidence in your fly. And I think sometimes noses and ears and whiskers and, you know, eyes. And I think those things add confidence that you have what looks like a frog or you have, you know, that a fish is going to identify that as a mouse or a frog or whatever, you know. And I think that helps your confidence a little bit that you, you, you're, you have the right thing. Uh, so I think there's something kind of psychological that might be said for that. But no, the reality is, is no, you probably don't need any of those things. I think that, you know, time of day and time and place are probably more important uh, uh, than, than anything, especially anyone fly. I think that flies are honestly the least important parts of fly fishing. All right. What should flies have? Uh, bass flies, you know, specifically... I think, you know, most of them should have more weight. I see a lot of bass flies out there that don't have enough weight. So, you know, I think they should have dumbbell eyes or some sort, some sort of, you know, lead-free wrapping, um, some way to get those flies down. I think that the vast majority of people that are bass fishing are fishing with a floating line. I think we need to be fishing more intermediate and sinking lines for bass specifically in still water. We have it in our heads because we don't do as much research as fly fishermen as the as the conventional bass anglers do that somehow our floating line is perfectly appropriate in a lake that is, you know, <laughs> anywhere from four to, you know, 20 some odd feet deep that somehow our floating line with our nine foot leader is going to get the fly to the fish and it's just not it's just not the case so i think that not only do we need to be using more intermediate and sinking lines especially in the warmer months and in the colder months the two extremes uh i think our flies need to be heavier right so more weight 
I think we need to, uh, I want, I want things in the flies that offer more movement when the fly is stopped, right? It's really easy to tie a fly that does a lot of things when you're stripping it. It's really a little bit more difficult to, to tie a fly that does a lot of things once the fly is paused and you're not stripping it, right? So we want, I want movement on both ends. I want the fly to jig up and down, right? As opposed to swim. So my trout flies, I like them to swim a little bit more, you know, uh, left and right, up and down. My bass flies, I want them to jig, right? So I want to put my dumbbell eyes closer to the eyelet of the hook uh, on my bass flies. I want to use more cones on my bass flies, right? Because I want them to, to go down and up and down and up. And, and a lot of times it's because we're targeting ledges, right? And bass like to hang out on these submerged, submerged ledges and ambush. And I find it's easier to stay on that. You know, you can get down into the zone and stay on that ledge and jig up and down along that ledge. Uh, no different than a, than a spin angler would. Your thoughts on weed guards. And if you tie them, what is your favorite material and method for attaching? Um, so I, I do always have a couple of flies with weed guards. Um, I don't, uh, I'm not nuts about them. I think we spend far too much time throwing flies into heavy structure where there aren't fish. Um, you know, again, uh, uh, you know, bass definitely love, you know, love structure. And there's no doubt that they hang out, you know, on logs and in grass beds and things like that. But I think that, you know, it's a certain time of year type of type of thing. Too often I find, you know, people out in August throwing into six inches of water in Virginia, hoping they're going to catch a big bass. And I, it's, you know, it's, that's not always the case. I think those, you know, the, that water temperature is now in the high 80s. Those fish are not there anymore. They are down deep. So I don't need a weed guard for that, right? Nor do I need a weed guard in the early spring when there are no weeds, right? I definitely don't need them in, you know, November when when fish are concentrated to, you know, a very small percentage of of the of the lake and, you know, they're they're deep deeper, you know, or they might be, excuse me, they might just now coming out to put the feet on before the the rigorous winter. I don't need a weed guard during that time. So there's only like a tiny little time period, I think, where weed guards are even appropriate. And that's kind of that late spring, uh, you know, which is either like a pre pre or post spawn uh, feed. I do. I use 30 pound mono. I used to use the abrasion resistant Orvis stuff. The, uh, they don't carry that anymore, so just regular 30-pound mono. And I attach it with the, uh, the same G-thread that I, that I use and hit it with uh, that fly tire Z-Met. All right. What about lips on flies? Yeah, that, uh, uh, those can be really effective, especially for, for largemouth bass. I, I, think lips are, I think lips are good. But again, I think those are, you know, uh, uh, for flies that, that – you know, are, are mimicking an injured bait fish, right? Uh, something you're going to fish, you know, on the surface or just below the surface. And it's got to be a certain time of year. You know when that is happening, right? You see fish blowing up the surface. You see bait moving. And sometimes that can be a good way to, you know, get your, get your fly to stand out. They're really hard to cast, however. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but flies with lips on them are just a bear. 
a bear to cast. I will use a Gatorade bottle to tie lips sometimes. I cut a little itty bitty ping pong paddle shape out of it. And specifically okay. at the curve on the top. I can't explain that on the podcast. No, I, I'm, I'm picturing what you're saying. Yeah, that sounds really good. I use duct tape. I use duct tape and masking or uh, duct tape and packing tape. We so use Rich Farino's toenail that ripped off at that two fly tournament. <laughs> oh God. Um, so basically I like double the duct tape over and I cut a circle out of it. And then I, I put packing tape on either side of it and I cut a circle out of that. So it's like clear. And then I poke a little hole in it and then I, uh, I just fit it right over the eye of the fly. Very nice. What about rattles? You a rattle guy? Um. Apparently, fish don't hear rattles. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. There's a certain I'm audible uh, decibel point that a rattle makes that apparently is not really that detectable to a fish. Wouldn't surprise me. I, you know, I'm I'm not for it or against it, man. I I've definitely put rattles in some of my flies. I don't know. Not enough, uh, not enough to substantiate uh, uh, the difference, you know. And so, when should somebody articulate? Mm. When should someone articulate a fly? Why are there very few articulated dry flies? Right, because dry flies don't. Well, okay. Well, first of all, I think someone should articulate a streamer or a nymph when they want to make it bigger, bigger and offer more movement, more movement. right? More movement. Uh, and sometimes just bigger, right? And larger, because a lot of times you need it. You want an articulation because you're going to add a second hook, right? The fly gets so long and you're, and you're worried about short strikes and things of that nature um, that it just makes sense to articulate it as a, as a way of just adding a second hook to the fly. Um, so that's, that's one thought. But you know, I definitely think it's a it's a more movement, more movement. Okay. Uh, any innovations over the last 10, 15 years that you think are good or bad for fishing for bass? And it could be well, we're talking about fly tying now. Uh, we can get into gear later. Any any great things that have come out recently that make bass flies better than say what uh, a couple generations before us had? Yeah, I think that the ultra suede that we discussed already is amazing. I mean, crayfish claws and, you know, stuff like that, that that's very durable, yet offers a lot of movement and a lot of realism with the profiles and things. I think that that is an excellent, uh, uh, you know, synthetic fibers that can be shaped and molded like the CCT fibers or the things like the Puglisi uh, stuff that you can get a great, you know, profile without having a lot of weight, especially on some of these bigger, some of these bigger bugs, things that shed, you know, some of these synthetics that shed water very easily, you know, one cast is so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, some of the flies that I love the most for bass can be very difficult to cast, you know, these big, you know, uh, uh, and, and some of the synthetics make it, you know, make it a lot easier. So I, I think, um, I think synthetic fly tying materials have really, really helped a lot. And then also too, just the way that they've been able to, um, cultivate and package 
you know, hairs are so much uh, more consistent and nicer and finer than um, and more select than than even 10 years ago. Um, I think that 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 has really helped. UV, right? You know, bass are extremely photosensitive, very, very photosensitive. So, you know, early morning and late evening are definitely the best times. Um, I, I believe them to be so much more photosensitive than trout, uh, especially on lakes, you know, and so now we have like literally UV fibers uh, that we can charge up and, and employ as a way to help them, you know, find, find stuff. We didn't have that way back when. What is the importance to you to have eyes on a bass fly, be it like a clouser eye that's painted with a, a pupil. I want to say more of like having a pupil and an eye spot on a fish pattern, bait fish pattern. How important do you find that? Because predators do key in on the head. They know a headshot will kill them and they come back around and, and eat them. You a big eye guy? It, you know, I, I don't know if I believe it, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have the cojones enough to disbelieve it. So I have pupils on my, <laughs> like, that's kind of the way I look at it. Like it, it doesn't hurt. Right. <laughs> so any little advantage, yeah. but I, I would think, no, I would think that they're fixated on, you know, if you just had what resembled to be an eye, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's almost like a, like how, you know, there's no eye on a woolly bugger. And, then, and it doesn't really look like anything. That's what I've been tying up today. I need some small black chenille, though. Mm, yeah. Tying some little itty bitty black. Use, just use dubbing. Just use dubbing. I probably will. I've been using whenever that. I get, whenever, I've been whenever using I get. Like, what is this stuff? Krennic Metallics Micro Ice Chenille. Okay. Yeah. I only use chenille if I'm tying above a certain size. Right. And that's usually six and up. So if, and this, this just goes for like all, all flies. Like I will not use a chenille unless the fly is a six or bigger. Other than that, I use dubbing because I just find that it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little less bulky. It's also really hard to find good um, hackles that fit little buggers you know like tens and indeed that was what i was going through today i was supposed to be cleaning my office and i was like you know what i want to tie some small weighted buggers and yeah i didn't find anything dubbing was a choice but i used that krennic stuff instead yeah yeah uh how much is too much time invested in a bass fly should someone spend an hour and a half carving something out of wood or hair that is just going to get destroyed or most likely lost? No, the flies are, are, you know, more for you than they are the fish. You know, you know, I, I have no problem spending an hour on a bass bug, you know, because it looks really cool. And I usually give them away. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, if I do a, a really nice mouse or something like all, all the kind of production or, or what do they call them? You know, the sort of showcase flies or whatever. I usually give those away. I don't keep them for myself. Um, you know, I usually keep the bad ones for myself and, you know, fish, fish those, right. Um, you know, you don't need, you know, I gave you a, a deer hair popper the other day that has like six different colors in it mm -hmm. spun into it. I haven't right? had a chance to toss that one yet. 
you know, it, does it need six colors? No, it definitely doesn't need six colors. One, two, you know, three at the most. But, you the know. fruit cocktail to your hair pop. Yeah, but I thought it looked cool, right? Yeah. You know, or whatever. Um, you know, you look at some of Pat Cohen's deer hair stuff, which I think is just phenomenal. Like, I like, I love his stuff. And, and uh, you know, he ties things that are very, you know, I, I love the cartoonish kind of element in his flies. They're artistic, almost like a, like a comic book, you know, or, a you know, a Muppet or something, you know, I kind of, I dig that. And he's, he's an artist, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't go for like ultra realism. His flies are meant to be fished. If right? I was going to yeah. get a tattoo, I'd want Pat to do it. <laughs> yeah. If I was going to get a fishing tattoo. Yeah. I have a rule. It's just, it's no, no, no we'll flies. get into that. That's later. Don't you? Nope. That's some oh, random okay. questions. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, any, <laughs> let's let's move on to gear now. We've covered okay. flies. Um, rod reel line. Let's discuss. Someone's coming into the shop to go out for the first time bass fishing, or you're joining me on the lake. What should somebody have to throw these flies in certain conditions where a, a bass is going to be living? So I I think you know the more the more I've I've really thought about this a lot, and especially recently, I think that they should have a seven through a nine weight. You know, I used to say six weight. Now I think it's seven through nine. And personally, I like an eight the the most for it. And and I say it for a few reasons. I think that, you know, these are largely the conditions, especially if you're lake fishing. And a lot of the, the flies vary in size and ease of cast and, you know, the ability to cast them. And I think that, you know, so an example, like when you're, when you're fishing, uh, uh, you know, these big deer hair bugs, an eight or a nine weight is they're weight resistant. It's like, Oh, a sock. yeah, they're very, very difficult to throw. Um, it's not, it's not an easy task. And also some of the, you know, the nine weight kind of, you know, eights and nine weights kind of put you into a, a situation, especially like if there's musky around or pike along with the largemouth, or, or you're just in a place where there's a lot of like, you know, good size bait fish and, you know, uh, you know, bigger, bigger streamers, you know, when you get out on a lake, it, it can be, it can be windy. It can be very difficult to cast. And so I, I think, you know, I think a, a seven through a nine weight is the best, the best type of rod to have. You know, the more, the more I do this, the more I want a, unless it's, uh, you know, I want an intermediate line, intermediate to full sink on flat water. I think we fish far too much floating line business. And I think we miss a lot of fish as fly anglers because of it. Obviously there's a time and a place for a popper bite. That time is just like dry fly time with trout. It's a very, very small percentage. I think that most fly anglers associate bass fishing with summertime popper bite. And we completely ignore uh, the lakes in the, in the, you know, early spring and then the fall. Um, and even in the winter, some of my best days out fishing for bass have been in the, in the fall months, but you need sinking lines uh, uh, for that kind of stuff in still water. But definitely smallmouth in the winter. Those things are going to be active at the bottom of deep holes. They really are. Again, I've never done it uh, still water, but um, some of my best, some of my best uh, smallmouth days are, you know, in the, in the Great Lakes region in the, you know, late October, early November. 
<laughs> getting into steelhead season. Mm. You know, you get amazing I don't know if that's moments. happening this year for me. Yeah. Unless I take my kid there and we just do online school from a lodge or something. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I don't know. Right, uh, reels? Anything? Do you need a, a large arbor reel? Can you go with a basic reel? Probably not as important uh, with largemouth, you know, or smallmouth. I don't think large arbor is important. Uh, they're not runners, right? They, uh, you know, they kind of, they fight. And it's not that they don't fight. They, they just fight in front of you, right? They fight in front of the boat. They kind of bulldog and, and dive and shake. Uh, you know, I prefer large arbors just for, for other reasons, especially if you're fishing in a boat and you're making long casts. You know, look at the arbor as a, uh, just like a wheel on a vehicle, right if you drive a big truck right with a with a 22 inch wheel it's going to take more less revolutions per second to move the big truck than it is the tiny little you know economy car with the 15 inch rim um so as this relates to gathering line quickly up uh, off the deck of the boat or or the shore and also you know, those smaller arbor reels tend to um, have a lot of memory, right? So more times the fly line has to, the fly line and the leader have to wrap around it. You know, large arbor versus medium or small, it's like the wheel on a vehicle, right? The larger the wheel, the less revolutions per second it takes to move it, right? So, you know, a big truck takes less revolutions per second to move than it does a very small, you know, economy car, right? Because the rim size on the truck is so much larger. So I like this fishing lakes for, for largemouth because especially if you're on a boat because you're constantly trying to get the line off the deck of the boat, right? And so a much less turns, you can just hit that reel, you know, hit that spool once, once or twice, and you can have, pick up the whole line with a large arbor reel. With a medium arbor reel or, a, or one that's really small, it's difficult. The other thing to consider is line memory. The smaller the arbor and the less backing it has on it, the more times the line and leader have to wrap around the arbor of the reel, which causes it to coil, right? And it's more memory. So those larger arbor reels, it wraps around less. So you get a lot less line memory that way. Any additional equipment someone needs? Do we need boga grips? Do we need a big net? Files? Um, anything else that... You know, it's, it's, good. It's, it's good to carry a net. A hook file is phenomenal bass fishing especially can you again you're constantly fishing the structure and you're dulling hooks a lot you know boga grips are cool if you want to weigh the fish or whatever i have a a no lip grip policy personally as you know i don't i i think i don't like the look of holding a largemouth by its lip um, I don't know. I think we're doing it a little bit of a disservice. You wouldn't hold a trout like that usually, right? Um, so I hold them just like I do a trout, you know, when I take a photo. I also read somewhere that it might not be good for them, that their bodies and the stomach content and stuff aren't supposed to sit that way. I don't know. So I don't, but I don't lip them. There is um, one graphic that goes around on social media every couple of months that doesn't really have, I mean, I believe it hurts their jaws and stuff. 
but people post that picture and just assume that it's 100% correct with no scientific data. Like, yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I like the way they look uh, when you when you hold them like a trout, you know, and their mouth closes and stuff. I think they're a pretty pretty handsome fish actually with that big big lateral line. Have you ever had a largemouth barf something up? Oh yes, tons of times. Yeah, that's that's a very common thing actually. You know, and you can even just look down their throat typically when yeah, you pick them up. Fish claws, a tail. Yeah, I always look down the throat. Minnows, yeah. I think I inhaled some marabou. <clears throat> Damn. Okay, uh, let's talk about anything else gear-wise people need. Gla what about glasses? Uh, yeah, definitely, you know, always polarized glasses, right? Oh, geez, you know, I, I, I recently finally gave up on Costas. And, you know, I started with Smith and love Smith and then tried Costas for the first time. And then I, I love the 580G lens. But the, I, I've just gone through too many pairs because the, uh, the hinge on the outside is plastic, right? On, the, on the, the parts that go over your ears, right? The hinge between on the, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. It's, it's plastic and they just break uh, consistently. You know, Costo has always been really good about replacing them and, um, you know, send them back and yada, yada, yada. But uh, the Smith have a, a steel hinge. So I'm back to the uh, I'm back to the Smiths. I just got a new pair of the Smith glass chroma pop, whatever their fancy schmancies are, and I, I really like them. So this is where I would uh, normally send an email to Peter Vandergrift at Costa, but he's now cheeky, so I uh, can't send your thoughts over to him anymore. Uh, but no, uh, but I but I love Costa too. I just I just I don't like that plastic that plastic hinge. Uh, want to talk about fishing for bass now? Sure. Where are you going to find bass? Where would you tell people to go look for some bass? Everywhere. They're, it's great because they're like, they're almost everywhere that there's water, right? Like most local lakes. And I think, I think it's the most popular game fish in the U.S. Wouldn't surprise me because they're pretty much everywhere. Yeah, they are. And then there was that recent study that mallards can consume fertilized carp eggs poop them out and they can still hatch which kind of gives you the hey how did fish come in here well the birds brought them here theory i don't right. know if that's true about bass but yeah you'll find bass pretty much all over the place they always say their eggs came in on ducks right yeah i i they're all over you know it's um you know it's it's even even streams and lakes and ponds and canals and drainage ditches, you know, everywhere. Any particular things within those canals, ponds, lakes, like structure-wise, what are you looking for? And I always say, you know, bass love structure enough that I once caught a largemouth in the tidal basin under a dead floating duck. I said to myself, yeah. as Emerald would say, self. There's probably something in the shade underneath that duck. And I threw a fly next to it, and I got a fish underneath the dead duck. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think, you know, you need to find structure. Um, ambush points, right? You know, it's not, it's not just floating structure, right? Underwater structure, I find, is even better, um, both largemouth and smallmouth. Shade definitely helps, especially in the summer months. 
and then again it also it also depends on the time of year right like if it's really cold outside they're probably going to be in the deepest place of wherever you are and that's where the water's going to be warmer and if it's super hot the other extreme also going to be deep because that's where the water's going to be the coolest i think they're going to put themselves where the the they're the least photosensitive right so again shade deep dark water or or structure something that'll put put them between uh something to put between them and the sun um but they can also see an ambush from so fallen timber boulder gardens lily pads right uh, weed beds grass beds what am i missing man-made structure right piers bridge pilings boat docks what else Pretty much yeah. anything that they can hide next to where they're not going to get eaten and then they can jump out and eat something. Right. Never underestimate where a fish could be. No, that's true. Yeah. Shade right now is the key for me. We're finding things in shade and where they can eat and not get eaten. What is your preference for leader not to fly? What is your preference for not to tie on your fly? Usually non-slip mono loop is the most common that I'm using when bass fishing. Non-slip mono loop. Okay. And what tippet length are you using and strength? So it's going to, you know, that really varies. It's going to depend on the rod. It's going to depend on the line. And it's going to depend on the fly. All more that it depends on the fish, right? I would say that when I'm bass fishing, I will fish no less than um, 12 pound, and I'll fish no more than 20. And you know, this is gonna, this is all about the, the fly size, right? So a smaller fly, I would rather have the 12 pound, um, and a larger fly, I'd rather have the 20. So like if I'm fishing like a really big, uh, buoyant, you know, kind of deer hair popper or something like that, wind resist, uh, I'm going to aim for the 20 pound fluorocarbon. But if I'm fishing like, uh, let's say, let's say it's like early spring or something, I'm fishing like little clousers, size six, size four, the water's really clear. I might, um, I might opt for the, uh, the 12 pound. And while I'm thinking it of this trick, you showed me this and client Dennis showed it to me recently, where if you got a snag and you pluck your line like a guitar string, can you explain that? Yeah. So, and again, by the way, this only works like, you know, probably less than 50% of the time. But what happens often is when you're, it's not really when you get a snag, right? It's when you throw it up in a tree or throw it into a bush. Basically, what you do is you aim the rod at the, uh, you know, you, you make the line tight and you aim the rod right at the fly. And then with your, with your line hand, you grab it and you pull it, you pull the line uh, perpendicular to the rod um, until it goes taut and then you let go. And basically what happens is it just unwraps. It just spins back the other way, right? So often when you throw it in a tree, what happens is it's not that the hook is caught in the tree. It's that the leader just wraps around the branch, right? 
a few times. And all this does is it just gets that line under tension and then um, the weight of the line, once you pluck it in that, in that way, it'll spin back the other way and sometimes it'll come out. Okay. Now, back to bass fishing. And is there a name for that? I don't know. Joe Humphrey showed it to me. He, he, he is famous for it. He'll like throw nymphs and things into trees intentionally and get them out every time with that, that technique. But he's got videos that uh, uh, I'm not sure what logic, what it's called though. All right, what's your approach when catching a, or targeting a bass? You be on your hands and knees like brook trout? You be uh, hiding behind no, no. something like there's a rising trout? Or you just be like you know, a uh, bull in a china shop? I mean, listen. If I'm, I, there are times where I've sight where I'm sight fishing largemouth, and I am at times hiding behind trees. I can think of, you know, the the some of the better sized largemouth that you can sight fish to in this area are on Bull Run, and I have no problem hot spotting this because I never catch them. I find them, but I never catch them. They're on Bull Run, and do you know how much water went into Bull Run last night? It went oh, like twelve feet. Yeah. It went um, over nine feet with the rainstorm last night. Wow. Wow. And, uh, you know, pre-spawn, I, I see them there. And I see them on their beds in various parts of the river. And I see very large ones for this area. And I never catch them. You know, I'm, I'm, I, 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 never, I can never get them to eat. You know, and I've, I've had a couple on or whatever that have come off. And I've caught, I've caught plenty of largemouth in there, but just not these particularly big big ones that are, you know, in the, in the four pound minimum range, right. That I'm, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm not talking about two, two, three pounders. I'm talking about, you know, three to three to five pound fish that are there for a month and then they're gone. Do you have a name for that size? Lunkers, bucket mouths? No, I don't have any names for them. And, no. and why do people call smallmouth smallies, but no one really calls largemouth largies. But <laughs> that's, with that? that's, a, that's a good question i'm not sure all right what about Never time of day you got an approach for time early of day? morning early, early morning? morning yeah dark dark 30 best time okay weather preference you want cold front warm front you like wind precipitation what's your jam i definitely want a little bit of wind because I want to know where on the lake to be, right? So bait always goes to the windward side of the lake as it's pushing the surface of the water. So I'd like a little bit of wind. Uh, I also like that it, it breaks the surface of the water slightly. You know, I don't like barometric changes. Um, so whatever is closest to homeostasis as possible, that's, that's where I want. You know, so I, I don't want pressure systems moving and and causing the fish to want to move to places that they're normally not right does that make sense it does and do you someone wants little, to tell me a little bit of overcast doesn't hurt but you know i will say that that often comes with pressure change what about winds from the east fish bite the least is that just a clever scene like beer before liquor never sicker i'm i don't i don't know I haven't, I haven't put enough. I've heard it, but I've never, I've never put enough uh, time and energy into trying to substantiate whether or not that was a good anecdote. Do you have a preference between walk and wade or a boat? 
or a boat where you could jump out and walk and wave. On lakes, I prefer always a boat. On rivers, I always prefer walk and wave. Yeah. And I'll, I mean, obviously I'll do, I'll do whatever, but uh, whatever it takes. But, but um, I definitely prefer wading in rivers and definitely prefer watercraft in still water. What would you consider a good bycatch bass fishing and what's considered a trash fish when bass fishing? Oh, hmm. That's for that's you versus what you just hear on the street in Clarendon. Yeah, I'm not like a, a you know, a good a good bycatch to me is, you know, whatever. A catfish. Yeah, like a big catfish. Actually, perch and walleye and crappie are always really cool bycatch for me. I'm not a trash fish. I don't have like that gene, uh, so nothing is really a trash fish to me. There are certain fish that I'm more or less excited about. Like I'm not excited when I catch a blue cat. It's kind of neat if it's really big, but they're gross. And we gotta yeah. really kill them in the river. And I just don't. If there's people on shore, I'll raise it up and be like, "Y'all want a free fish?" You know, I guess gizzard shad would be Ugh, the, dude, the answer to that. Have to see that. Yeah. You gave me digestion there. Yeah, I think gizzard shad would Ugh. be the would be the uh, the trash fish to me, for instance. Ugh. All right. What about what's your retrieve preference? I let the fish dictate. More recently, low and slow. You know. You know. Again, still, still water. I definitely think a uh, a slower, more methodical retrieve. Uh, as long as the fly jigs, and some of that has to deal do with the fly as well, Rob. You know. So, um, certain actions you get out of certain retrieves out of certain flies, right? So. You know, certain flies I'll imply like a wrist technique where I'll, you know, I'll twitch and strip and twitch and strip. Um, you know, certain flies are just a more methodical, uh, even, evenly paced. Some I'm going to count down, you know, you know, strip one, two, three, strip one, two, three, strip one, you know. But they often and most often, I think largemouth take it on the pause. Personally, I like that wrist movement, right, where I'm actually moving the fly with the wrist and then stripping in the slack. And I find I get the most hookups that way. Oftentimes I tell my clients and podcast listeners, it's not so much what you're throwing, but how you're throwing it to them. What your retrieve does and the motion you impart in that fly sometimes is more important than what you're actually throwing at. Yes, I would agree. I would say that the best thing your podcast listeners can do right now to go and catch more bass is to get a sinking line, you know, or an intermediate line. And I think that that is the thing that they'll be able to do that will immediately, if they're fishing a lake, immediately start to catch more fish as if they employ those, you know, that, that bit of technology, I think will really, really help. You know, that being said, however, yeah, I mean, where you're putting it and how you're moving it is always more important than the, than the fly itself, I think. How do you set your hook when you hook into a largemouth or smallmouth? I try to strip set and then raise the line out of the water. A strip set is preferable to me. Okay. How often do you get a fish farm ponds? Not often. There's nothing better than a farm pond and yeah. a largemouth, dude. They're, Absolutely right. 
we we no. out go driving like last week we did uh two times what? this year two times this year i got to fish one yeah we were driving over bull run mountain on these dirt roads last week and there's little ponds of course my family's not gonna let me just go knock on someone's door and my kids always like no you can't do that i'm like fishing right. would be so amazing you know there's fish in there that nobody fishes for sure of course more farm ponds in my life yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what about small? You ever do small stream largemouth besides like bull run? Yes. Yes, I have. And that is amongst the most fun at anything. Like it's an absolute blast. There is, I mean, even around here, there's a couple places that I've gone uh, out in the Vienna area. I'm not going to hotspot a little brown line, but yeah, like little largemouth on light tackle is an absolute blast. Akatink is full of big largemouth. Yeah, under the highway. Americana Park. I've, mm-hmm. I've caught some, some good good size ones. Yeah. When I used to live over there. It's amazing where there are. You know, when I used to live in Centerville, there was five or six little places that I would do little stream largemouth and smallmouth. Did you see that Ryan posted a picture of Huntsman Lake that has snakehead in it now? Yes. Yes. I had no idea they were in there. I took my daughter there recently, uh, and we stood in the lake on a flat in the back by the old dam. And she caught her first largemouth there on a nymph. We were doing dry dropper bluegill fish. When you do dry droppers for bass, what are you going to top, and what are you going to do on the bottom? So a little different for largemouth and smallmouth if i'm doing largemouth i'm gonna do you know either a deer hair or a hard body popper or a slider of some kind i I have some i tie some like various slider slider patterns i think you've seen some of them and think floating bait fish and then below i'm typically going to tie a a longer nymph although you're making me believe in the worm a little bit more too now a prince nymph will catch more largemouth than anything else size yeah uh, size 10 prince nymph yeah i I like for bluegill and the largemouth eat them they don't go for the popper they're just like yeah i'll just slurp this up that bars hex nymph is one of my favorite bass flies you know and we don't have hex here genius it's the action it's just it's a great, yeah it's just a great little little nymphy buggy looking you know it looks like a damsel or a dragonfly nymph or something but that's one of my favorites you know snow white damsel is always a good choice that's a very versatile uh, uh fly for that kind of rig i think just dropped three of those off for my client ken today at his house down the street nice nice the uh yeah yeah always always kind of something you know, a more elongated nymph, nymphs that swim, right? Swimming nymphs is usually what I'm what I'm dropping. But listen, I've dropped little buggers and things like that off of them too, and that works as well. They're opportunistic. If there's food yeah. and, and they're going to eat, they're going to eat. Totally. Any misconceptions about largemouth that people might have out there? misconceptions about largemouth bass like well i'm only a dry fi trout fisherman i'm not gonna waste my time with the four pound largemouth at the pond next to my house i'm gonna drive to pennsylvania to fish for trout you get yeah like there's that. a lot of there's like, there's that in everything you know 
Of course. There's there's people that, you know, even in the trout world that don't even know how to trout fish because they just, you know, or, or, or they're or not that they don't know how to trout fish. Let me take that back. There's people in the trout world that don't know how to dry fly fish because all they do is, you know, tight line nymph techniques because that's how you catch the most, right? Or there's people that, you know, only go for big fish or only, you know, uh, uh, and that's kind of their choice and that's fine. That means there's more bass out there for us to catch, right? That's right. <laughs> you know, same with the with the carp fishing or, or something, you know, or something like that. Um, the thing about about smallmouth or about largemouth fishing, myself included, none of us, I don't think, really know how to largemouth fish. You know, and and call me call me nuts, but I feel like we don't really focus the kind of time and energy, and and I'm guilty of this of learning all the nuances of that species the way that the conventional guys do. I mean, it's unbelievable the the depth and breadth of knowledge that they have. We do this for trout, but I feel like we don't do this for bass. I think, uh, you know, and again, I'm speaking broadly. I'm, I know there's exceptions out there, but I think we kind of look at, like, bass fishing as what to do when trout season's over or what to do when it's too hot for trout. And so we know bass fishing as, like, this floating line popper thing, and sometimes you get lucky. But... There's a lot more to it than that, you know, uh, and you can fish these things all year long. And I would really like to, you know, learn, learn more, more about it and, and, you know, kind of get more into it because um, they are an awesome, an awesome species, you know, and, and I'd like to spend more time maybe this fall uh, uh, playing with some of our local lakes. Yeah. Let's Burke Lake once a week. We got to do it. Yeah, yeah, let's, right. let's do it. Uh, let's say a client comes in, customer to your store. They want to go with bass fishing. What are the most popular flies? What do you recommend? What do you suggest? What do you endorse? So we usually hand them, uh, uh, you know, a couple clousers, right? We typically... Preference? And I'm guessing they're tommies. Yeah, so usually like a six or a four. Uh, and th- you know, this also depends on the rod that they're throwing. So nine times out of 10, they're usually taking a five weight because that's what they have. Right. So if they have a five weight, I'm going to give them a, you know, a six boogle bugs, uh, in white and yellow blockhead poppers in white and yellow for the small mouth. We like the blue. We show them a, uh, you know, CK bait fish. We show them a, um, tequila. Who came up with the tequila? I have no idea. That thing's just been around. Uh, Clawdad. That's a uh, local, man. That, yeah. Yeah. That's one of those yeah. local flies. You know, depending on the time of year, we might have a damsel in there or a, a scorpion bug. Mm. Um, I'm still in scorpions today for that snakehead. Uh, you know, we've got... Uh, what else? What else? What's the uh, most absurd fly you would throw or have someone throw? What's that other good one that I can't think double, of? The, the double D? Yeah, I don't think that's super absurd. I think that's reasonable. Oh, 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 the other one's that, that Texas fly. Um, uh, it's like all rabbit. The what a bugger. No, no. It's, Double bunny? Uh, no, it's one hook. Leeches are good, too. Black leeches, especially. Um, oh, I can't think of it. I can think of the tire. 
All right. Well, we'll, we'll like, talk about oh, yeah, cute little shad looking things made out of rabbit. I don't know. That'll come to me. Would it be gull gully? No. No. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it on the, the terrestrial podcast. Yeah. Yeah, All sure. Right. Anything else I forgot to ask you about bass fishing? I don't know. I think we talked about a lot of stuff. All right. Let's Maybe. do some random Probably. questions. Hopefully okay. they're not redundant. Okay. All right. Uh, your house is on fire. What are you grabbing? Besides the pork belly your wife's cooking. House is on fire. What am I grabbing? Yeah. Car keys. Okay. <laughs> uh, a band... Hold on. Uh, if you had a band to follow you around and play your theme song, what song would they play? Oh, man. Uh, Get Behind a Mule by Tom Waits. All right. Which is actually not an original. Why <laughs> do fly anglers at all events look the same? Because we are all the largest contingent of human beings to have never been punched in the face. To ever congregate in one one area so we're all we're all dorks basically i think i think that know? was our second conversation ever <laughs> why do you not have any fish tattoos and you've got I mean, your tattoos are they're well shaded they're well out you got very your your artist is very good whoever does your tats um i don't know i they're it's just weird i don't know i i've always i've always kind of I don't know. People, they're not for me. Because all anglers look the same and they all have fishing tats? Yeah. Tell us about one of your tattoos. Something memorable. Okay, so the first tattoo I ever got, I was 16 years old. And my, That's not legal? No, it is. Ohio? And, yeah, my, it is. And my mom uh, had to sign a waiver and took me. And this was, in, this was in Cleveland. And I had to get a report card that had only A's and B's and her, you know, and, and I was raised Catholic. And so I had to get something religious, right, was the rule. And so I thought of all these different, like, what is the most, like, religious, but, like, still kind of badass, where, I, like, it's going to sound cool kind of thing. And I, and I, so I got this cross and I, and I used a, a a, a couple of lines from a prayer called the Our Father, and it says, "Deliver us from evil." And so that was the first tat tattoo I got. I actually, upon getting out of the car to go into the establishment with my mom, I slammed my finger in the car door, broke the finger, uh, nail exploded. Wait, what exploded? My nail, uh, a fingernail, uh, and I still got the tattoo. Damn. I, well, I guess if your finger hurts, that's like when, you know, you stub your toe and someone punches you in the arm. Yeah. You don't feel your toe. Right. That's right. Exactly. Right. That's just so. basic nerve functions. Right. So that's my, that's my first tattoo story. Do you have any rituals before a fishing trip? Anything you, like you need to do? Um, like, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the word. I was trying to think of it all day. Do you have any habits or, um. It's usually it's usually revolves around like like rearranging fly boxes into some you know configuration that's highly unnecessary. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like just far too much prep work is usually the ritual. <clears throat> Let me think here. No, but other than that, no. All right. 
if you could be another animal for a day, what would you be? I would really love to fly. <laughs> so I, I think I'd have to be some kind of bird. Yeah, I, I would I would love to I'd love to fly. So it's gotta be a bird. All right, if you had a choice between a lightsaber and a Harry Potter wand, which would you take? Ooh, that's a really good one. I man. A lightsaber and a I would have to go with the Harry Potter wand. Okay. I mean, because you can you can do some things. You can you know, swish and flick, and you can make a lightsaber swish, if you know so the right. The swish step. and flick, that's why I told him, I'm like, you need to move that fly like that rod like Hermione, you swish and a little flick. Yeah. And watch yeah. those rubber legs and that Chernobyl ant move. Yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with the wand, right? Okay. Yeah. You gotta go to Lightsabers are cool though. Lightsabers are cool though. Uh, I need a story that you had to be there to believe. Doesn't have to be fishing related, just to round this uh, podcast off with. Oh my gosh. What are the craziest story. things you've seen? All right, so I already told you the one about the cow. We'll take a Joe Humphrey story. It could be crazy Cleveland shenanigans. Yes, I I have had my fair share of crazy Cleveland shenanigans. Actually, I was fishing a tributary of Lake Erie, and it was actually the Rocky River. I was probably, oh man, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. And we were fishing smallmouth and it was the lake run season. And it was on the lower river. There's this dog park on the on the Rocky River. And just above the dark park is this, is this road bridge. The uh, Rocky River Road goes through the Cleveland Metro Parks and this little bridge, you know, goes right over the river. I'm, I'm standing there with my buddy, Johnny Vizzini, and we're, we're fishing. And a stroller comes over the side of the bridge and lands in the water. And our immediate reaction was just absolute freak out. And like he runs over and of course there's nothing in the stroller. There's no baby. But we didn't know. Like we didn't know if, you know, so we run up to the dog park is it someone's and, dog stroller? Uh, yeah. Like a Pomeranian? <laughs> yeah, there was no dog in it. So we run up to the to the dog park. And thank God there was a um like a park ranger who was parked right there. And that's redundant. He already knew. He already knew what happened. He had already witnessed it. It was like this couple that got that was like really pissed. And the the boyfriend, like they were arguing, and the boyfriend, the dog wasn't in the stroller, and he threw the dog stroller over the bridge, and the cop like already had a stern talking to with him. It's but so for weird. a second, we thought we thought that somebody like had murdered, had like tried to throw their baby in the water, and we were like completely completely freaked out for about a good for about a good twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. All right, where can listeners find you, and have you? Had listeners come in and say, say, I heard you on that fly fishing consultant podcast. See, <laughs> where would they find me? They, well, I guess they could find me at work, uh, at Orvis in, uh, Arlington and the Clarendon neighborhood. I'm usually there or at TPFR. You can get me there at contact at TPFR.org casting church. Second Sunday of every month. Uh, teaching lessons down at Fletcher's Boathouse. Anyone that is completely open, all skill levels, you can come down and 
Um, we usually have several qualified instructors there to help. That's it. That's usually that's usually the only reliable places to find me. <laughs> Let's do terrestrials next, and then we'll do nymphs when it gets cold. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That All right, my man. Good. Maybe we'll do one in person too on the back porch. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like fun. All right, dude. Thank you so All much right. for your time, and have yeah. a good Wednesday evening. And I can't believe the storms never emerged that were supposed to happen today. They good didn't. Evening. They didn't. <laughs> I'm going to go to plants. All right, my man. Have Take fun, and let's there, do bud. Burke Lake in the next couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my Bye. man. Later. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king. But who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver. Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.